Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist, the magical mystery tour called life, Matthew DiBiase. Tonight's guest making his third appearance on my show is author and Civil War historian William Connery. William lives in the greater Baltimore, Washington, D.C. area, and for over 10 years has been a writer for the Civil War Courier Monthly Magazine and a guest speaker giving talks on the Civil War. William has also worked for the Washington Times newspaper and once did weekend docent work at the Mosby Museum in Warrington, Virginia. In 2011, William published his first book, Civil War, Northern Virginia, 1861. And in 2013, he published his second book, Mosby's Raids in Civil War, Northern Virginia. Tonight, we will be discussing the Second Battle of the Manassas, which took place on August 28th to August 30th, 1862. So tonight is the 160th anniversary of the final day of the battle where the Union Army of Virginia, led by John Pope and elements of the Union Army of the Potomac, were routed by Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. William, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you here again. Uh, would you please set the stage for our listeners? What led to the Second Battle of Manassas? Okay, I'll just give you a little overview here. Um, the second Manassas campaign, basically August 28th, 29th, 30th, actually covered a bigger, bigger area than that, August 13th to September 3rd, 1862. It was one in a line of Confederate victories that year. Following General George McClellan's attack on the, the Confederate capital at Richmond during the Peninsula Campaign and the Seven Days Battle, which uh, McClellan had gloriously lost, uh, Confederate General Robert E. Lee regained the strategic initiative through a bold campaign and maneuver. Similar to what he would do in uh, splitting his command at Chancellorsville, this time he split his Army of Northern Virginia into two, one half led by Stonewall Jackson, the other by James Longstreet. And again, in a risky move, Lee sent Jackson around Union General John Pope's flank to cut his supply lines with Washington, D.C. Longstreet's wing of the army later followed Jackson and succeeded splendidly bringing Pope to battle near Manassas Junction, which was the site of the first battle of Manassas, which had been fought the summer before in July 1861. Then with the defeat of Pope's army of Virginia at the, the second battle of Manassas, uh, a route lay open to the north for the Army of Northern Virginia, which generally decided to take, bringing the war into Maryland, culminating in the Battle of Sharpsburg, Antietam on September 17, 1862. Let's talk about the Union commander, John Pope. How exactly did he become commander of the Union Army of Virginia? Okay, I want to give you a little background. Not many people know about Pope <laughs> because he, he did so terrible here. Actually, uh, he is the general that they called, uh, that, that his headquarters 
was in his hindquarters. <laughs> um, he lived 1822 to 1892. He was a career army officer and Union general in the Civil War. He had a brief stint in the Western Theater, best known for his defeat at the Second Battle of what some people call Bull Run, what some people call Manassas. He was a 1842 graduate of West Point, so he was one of, the, one of those career guys. He served in the Mexican War, had numerous assignments as a topographical engineer and surveyor in Florida, New Mexico, Minnesota. He spent much of the 1850s surveying a possible southern route for the proposed first transcontinental railroad. He was an early appointee as a Union Brigadier General of Volunteers, served initially under Major General John C. Fremont. He achieved initial success against Brigadier General Sterling Price in Missouri, then led a successful campaign that captured Island Number 10 on the Mississippi River. This inspired Lincoln to bring him east to lead the newly formed Army of Virginia. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. outstanding performance in the Mississippi earned him a promotion to Major General. During the Siege of Corinth, he commanded the left wing of Halleck's army, but was soon summoned east after the collapse of McClellan's Peninsula campaign. Pope was appointed to command this newly formed Army of Virginia, assembled from the scattered forces in Shenandoah Valley in Northern Virginia. And this promotion infuriated Fremont, who resigned his commission. Wow. <laughs> now, this is the same Army of these Union uh, units that became the Army of Virginia. This was the same units that tried to defeat Stonewall Jackson in the Shenandoah Valley in the spring of 62, and they failed dismally. Is that correct? That's the same correct. Units? You've got that right. Now, uh, um, this new field command had been created from three smaller armies that had been defeated by Stonewall Jackson during his Van Lake campaign, the commands of Nathaniel Banks, Irvin McDowell. Of course, Irvin McDowell had been overall Union Army commander 13 months before the first battle, Manassas, and Franz Siegel. Ominously, Pope only managed to maintain cordial and professional relations with McDowell. He openly antagonized Siegel by mocking the German native's accent and alienated Banks with his abrasive behavior. Thus, as Pope moved his dispersed forces southward to Culpeper County, July 12th, he po possessed an unreliable command structure ill-suited for operations against Lee. Especially Robert E. Lee. Now, isn't yeah. it also true that Pope not only alienated his top command staff, he also alienated his troops? I mean, was there like an infamous speech that kind of ticked off his soldiers? Uh, is that true? No, that is true. He brought an attitude of self-assurance that was offensive to the Eastern soldiers under his command. He issued a message on July 14th 
Confederate General Robert E. Lee uncharacteristically called General Pope, and I quote, a miscreant who ought to be suppressed, unquote. What did Pope do that provoked such an uncharacteristic remark by General Lee? Well, actually, Pope, uh, Pope issued uh, two a General Order Number 5 and a General Order Number 7, and uh, anyone who is familiar with the whole Civil War uh, this may be the basis for Sherman's War of Annihilation in Georgia and Phil Sheridan's, likewise, what he did in the Shenandoah Valley. Yeah. But part of Pope's purpose in Virginia was to institute a harsher form of war, which, of course, later World War One, World War Two, was what was called total war or not just war against troops, war against civilians, which General Lee was completely against. Uh, but a form of war viewed by many Republicans and by Lincoln himself as a necessity. In their eyes, McClellan was too conciliatory towards civilians. In line with this policy, Pope issued his orders for a harder war in Virginia. July 18th, he issued General Orders Number 5, telling his troops to subsist on the countryside. And General Orders Number 7 promised draconian punishment in response to guerrilla attacks. Mm -hmm. It was these orders that enraged General Lee, who viewed them as contrary to the laws of warfare and fumed that Pope must be suppressed. Mm. Now, you mentioned earlier that Lee divided his forces against Pope. Can you kind of paint a, a, a mental map for our listeners here? I mean, was Lee coming from the east or was he coming from the west when he launched his campaign against Pope? Well, he was pretty much coming from the south. Okay. His, uh, he first sent Stonewall Jackson and his corps up towards the north. He wanted him to swing around Pope, cut off Pope's contact 
with Washington, D.C., and then have uh, General uh, Longstreet come up, and if you can um, picture it as a pincer and squeeze and crush Pope's forces between Jackson and Longstreet. So, for example, on his way swinging around, Jackson was able to capture Pope's uh, supply base in uh, uh, Manassas Junction. Yeah. And his men had a, a field day with uh, champagne and oysters and <laughs> all the goodies that they could stuff in their saddlebags, but they couldn't carry away. They, they burned their, it was suggested several millions of supplies were um, just, and that's millions in their money. Yeah. That would be 10 or 20 or 30 million dollars of supplies or more today. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when Jackson did that right, I also wasn't at Groveton as well. I mean, didn't that really help sustain Lee's in terms of ammunition, foodstuffs, you know, and extra supplies, you know, shoes for his men for quite a bit, of, for almost like a, an extra year, didn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Something I, I, I don't know if, I, I haven't read uh, whether they made a, uh, you know, an, an actual, uh, <laughs> I think the, the soldiers kept most of, kept and, and ate most of what they took. And I guess they, uh, whatever shoes, yeah, uniform, which, which reminds me of Antietam when uh, the the Union almost broke through and AP, AP Hill's uh, troops came rushing from uh, Harper's Ferry in blue uniforms because yeah. they had captured Harper's Ferry. Yeah. And their Confederate uniforms were almost falling off their body and yeah. they were here with brand new blue uniforms. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure something similar. Also, I um, studying this, I've discovered that, you know, for example, you you have the Battle of Sharpsburg, which is also Antietam. Here you have the Battle of Second Manassas, Second Bull Run, and also the Battle of Groveton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have three names. Yeah. For the same battle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How much help did McClellan give to Pope during the campaign? And and additionally, was McClellan reluctant to assist Pope? What was the relationship between the two? Oh, he was very reluctant. Uh, he he was still ste steaming at the not being able to to get to Richmond and having to fall back. And McClellan he he was a very good organizer. But he he had no idea how to use the army once he organized it. Yeah. And and he he always thought that the army opposing him was was twice or three times his own army when usually his army was twice the size of the opposing army. So I'll just uh, briefly mention uh, um, there were some troops who, who came up from McClellan's army, uh, Fitz John Porter and the Fifth Corps uh, arrived at Pope uh, August 22nd, so about six days before the battle. And August 24th, Heintzelman's 
Corps uh, was moving from Alexandria. But although these corps provided additional men, their commanders presented problems for Pope. Porter hated Pope and, and described him as an ass. <laughs> Henselman, while more amenable to Pope, had compiled a fairly undistinguished record during the Peninsula Campaign and Seven Days Battle. So there, after the battle, people pretty much uh, agreed that McClellan did not really want to help Pope. And actually, Pope was dismissed, and McClellan once again was put in charge of the, uh, the Army of the Potomac. Now, getting the actual the battle itself, I mean, wasn't it true at the very beginning, it was Jackson's Corps that really took the full brunt of Pope's attack, and finally on the last day that his Corps was dangerously low on ammunition. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's that's the famous, uh, they were uh, actually at the first Battle of Groveton, it was pretty much a stand-up. Uh, things had changed uh, just a year before People were excited when, when people got shot at, they sometimes dropped their muskets, ran away. This time, uh, Jackson soldiers and Pope soldiers were like within 80 yards of each other for two hours, just blasting away at one another, and neither of them giving ground. And then, you know, by the third day, Jackson's troops were running so low on uh, ammunition that somebody said, we're almost out. What, well, we got this railroad cut here and they left behind all, all this, this, these stones. Okay, let's, let's throw stones at those Yankees. <laughs> so it was reported that they're not really sure how much damage it did, but uh, they, they weren't ever willing to surrender if they ran out of bullets, they picked up stones to, to, to throw at the Union troops. Now, how did Robert E. Lee, uh, what were Lee's orders to Longstreet? How was Longstreet utilized in the Second Battle of Manassas? What was, what were their, what was Lee's plan to use Longstreet against the Union Army? Well, Lee first sent up Stonewall. He wanted... Stonewall to pin down Pope's army. And while Pope's army was pinned down, Longstreet would come up. And this is, this is one of the uh, uh, what ifs, you yeah. know, every battle, you know, if Stonewall had been alive at Gettysburg, if such and such had happened, if uh, Lee had ordered Longstreet to a, a, attack Pope's flank, I believe it was the second day, but the Longstreet claimed he wasn't ready, he didn't have everything ready, because when he attacked finally the, the third day, he pretty much annihilated Pope's army, but not completely. Mm. Lee's, his ultimate goal was not just to defeat the Union Army, 
but was to annihilate it, to destroy it, to make the Union Army hate the war so much that they would just go home and leave the South alone. Now, when Longstreet was attacking, isn't it true that Union Corps Commander Fitz John Porter got into trouble with Pope because so, while Longstreet was attacking, you know, Porter did something, I forget, either he attacked or he didn't attack at the key moment in the battle. Can you describe that aspect? Well, there, there, yeah, there was a key moment in battle, battle that Fitz John Porter was uh, ordered by Pope to attack Longstreet, but Longstreet was in such a position that if Fitz John Porter had attacked at that point, his Pope's army would have been even further destroyed. So when the battle was over, when the dust cleared, similar to the Battle of Bull's Bluff um, the year before, McClellan was in charge of the army. He was newly installed. The Union lost terribly at Ball's Bluff. They had to have a scapegoat. So General Charles Stone uh, was arrested, thrown into prison. And, and uh, six months later, he left the United He wound up as a general in Egypt. Jeez. Now, Fitz John Porter, he was court-martialed, kicked out of the army, but then in the 1870s, he brought his case back to uh, the uh, general courts-martial, and he was exonerated. That they He showed them all the documents and orders, and they believed that yeah, it was Porter that did the right thing and not Pope. Now, now, you mentioned earlier at, with the great, oh, before we went on air, uh, you told me that there were some lost opportunities. I mean, you talked about one lost opportunity with Longstreet, the fact that he took so long to attack him. Weren't there other lost opportunities in the aftermath of the second oh, yeah, battle in Manassas? Aftermath, yeah. Actually, uh, when the battle was over, when um, Pope was withdrawing his forces back, to the defenses of Washington, Lee sent Stonewall again to try and outflank Pope's army again in order to block it returning to DC and again have a chance to destroy it. Now what happened was uh, um, Jeb Stewart was, was doing scouting work and, and he saw some uh, supply wagons and he started firing at them. And this made uh, the Union Army aware that there's something going on at our flank that they hadn't been aware of. And so this brought more Union troops. And then, then September 1st, you had probably what was the last battle of the uh, Northern Virginia campaign, which was the Battle of Chantilly uh, Ox Hill, where two Union regiments were able to block Stonewall, and two um, Union generals uh, died 
and and there's a, a, a little even a little park yeah. there today commemorating the battle of uh, Chantilly slash Ox Hill. Yeah, isn't that isn't it covered over mostly by Dulles International Airport? Um, yeah, I I think it, it's something like there's only four or five acres. It's less, yeah. less than two percent of, but I mean uh, until um let's see here until 70 years ago i mean before world war ii i always tell people before world war ii believe it or not uh, fairfax county was known as the dairy county yeah because yeah. because there were so many dairy farms here yeah and centerville uh which is where right next to where first manassas second manassas Confederate troops, Union troops marching. It was reported that for the next 50 years, it was known as the Centerville Desert. It's hard to believe now because you yeah. know, you come to Northern Virginia and, and there's all the housing yeah. and where there's no housing, there's nice trees and a little bit of farmland left. Yeah. But in but uh, for 50 years after the war. Shin, uh, Centerville was known as the Centerville Desert. William, uh, are you working on any future book projects? No, not yet. Uh, I'm still giving talks and things um, concerning my books. And uh, if, if the listeners uh, are interested, my, my books are available. Um, Barnes and Noble um, through History Press, which is my publisher, and Amazon, or they can contact me, um, William.Connery at Verizon.net, and um, I can send out um, signed copies of my books. William, I want to thank you again for appearing on my show. In fact, I, I, I have you scheduled again for uh, mid-December where we're going to talk about Fredericksburg, okay? Okay, okay, mid-December. And then uh, March, too, right? That's right. We're going to talk about Mosby. One of my favorite topics. Right, uh, Mosby. We're, I yeah. always wanted to talk Earl about Mosby. Mosby. We're going to do that, yeah. So you take care. You have a, a good. You have a good summer and a good fall, okay? Okay, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Take care and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for my next show, which will be coming up this coming Thursday, where I will be interviewing football historian Terrence Troop. Thank you and good night.